Its blue skies and Baroque architecture have witnessed crucial moments in Mexico's history. Today, the cities in the central Bajio region offer pedestrian-friendly sites to explore or just to take a break in. Right through the center of town, all of the streets are built into tunnels underground. Coming up, guidebook author Julie Mead recommends what to see in Colonial Carretero, Artsy San Miguel, and fairy tale Guanajuato. Wonderful coffee, wonderful tea, and the atmosphere is just beautiful in a courtyard in a colonial era. Before the COVID shutdowns, Patricia Schultz of A Thousand Places to See Before You Die fame noticed how Southeast Asia had become a favorite with younger travelers. They found an area of the world that is incredibly beautiful with very welcoming people, ancient civilizations, so much that's fascinating and cheap. And listeners tell us where they're ready to go. Come along for the hour ahead. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Hey, I'm Rick Steves. You can experience my favorite European people, places, and stories in my newest book, For the Love of Europe. Order your copy today at ricksteves.com. We are going to get to travel again, eventually. So for now, let's dip into our travel memories for inspiration and put together our wish lists so we're ready to enjoy the world again as soon as it's safe to do so. Patricia Schultz of the Thousand Places to See Before You Die series joins us in just a bit with a few of her ideas for where to go next. And later in the hour, you can tell us where you're itching to go. Let's start today's Travel with Rick Steves by exploring the essence of old Mexico. Moon Guidebook author Julie Mead joins us now in an interview we recorded prior to the COVID outbreak. You know, one reason I haven't explored Mexico as much as I'd like to may be because I have a hard time pronouncing the towns. <laughs> but I think three towns near Mexico City that really are, like household words for anybody who loves exploring Mexico are, what are those three towns? <laughs> There's San Miguel de Allende, uh-huh. Guanajuato, and Querétaro. And you could rent a, a car and be in these towns, what, in a couple of hours? Yeah, it's probably about mm, two and a half to three hours to Querétaro. That's the closest. Mm -hmm. Uh, In San Miguel, you're looking at probably about four hours to get there from Mexico City. You can hop in a bus, some really nice, comfortable bus lines, or you could rent a car, too. How would you do it if you're flying into Mexico City to get to these towns? You know, I would take the bus. There are actually buses that come right out of the airport in Mexico City to Querétaro. And uh, for there, it's a, you know striking distance to San Miguel. So it's it's pretty easy to get around by bus. There's lots of great bus lines. They make it convenient. So Julie, just so we can kind of get our bearings, give me a quick thumbnail sketch of the three towns. Well, Guanajuato, starting with that, is a university town with a beautiful colonial centro. San Miguel de Allende is a very laid-back small town that also has a very rich history. And Querétaro is a medium-sized city where you'll get a mix of a lot of different things, some business and a beautiful centro, uh, also a place really worth visiting. Julie, if you had a day to do your sightseeing before you started your actual vacation, what would be on your list? What are the top uh, two or three things you got to see in this town? Well, I would start by wandering around the plazas and looking at all of the churches and Baroque mansions throughout the centro. One place definitely worth visiting is the Querétaro Art Museum. It's housed in an Augustinian convent from the 17th century, so the building itself makes it worth a visit, but Mm. they also often have very interesting contemporary work by Mexican artists, other local artists, so I would definitely put that on my list. And if you went to the market, the Mercato de la Cruz, would you find uh, artisanal things that come in from the countryside? Is it a farmer's market? What would you be wandering through there? 
It's mostly a food market, and I really recommend visiting it because it gives you a very unique opportunity to wander through a really big, bustling city market, but that, again, is not touristy at all. So you're really getting a glimpse into Mexican culture, but you're not, um, you know, there's not other people with their cameras out. You feel like you're really um, getting an authentic experience there, but it's also very clean and friendly and easy to navigate. It's not as overwhelming as some of the big markets in Mexico City, say, but it has a very similar atmosphere. So I think it's a really cool place. I love visiting that when I'm in, in Querétaro. And when you're there wandering through that market and you're just a little bit hungry, what are some of the regional specialties you'd look forward to trying? One thing that is very typical of Querétaro are gorditas, which is a big round corn cake. It's flattened by hand and then it's cooked on a griddle. And it's usually stuffed with something like pork or cheese or nopales, prickly pear cactus, which is very popular to eat in that whole area mm. because they grow everywhere. They grow really I easily. I love so. cactus fruit or the cactus pear, do you call it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, and they it's called a tuna in Mexico. <laughs> a tuna. Yeah, so when you see tuna on the menu, it is not tuna fish. It actually refers to the prickly pear fruit, which is very popular, especially in this region, because these um, cactuses just grow everywhere, wild. Julie Mead lived in Mexico for nearly 10 years, writes the moon guidebooks to Mexico City and to the artsy enclave of San Miguel de Allende. It includes chapters on the nearby cities of Guanajuato and Carretero. That's our focus right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Take us to Guanajuato. Well, Guanajuato is a wonderful place to visit. It's almost magical. It's a city that seems like someone would have invented it because it's built on the sides of this steep ravine that used to flood constantly throughout the colonial era until they finally were able to manage the flooding. And now the streets in the centro, right through the center of town, all of the streets are built into tunnels underground. So as you're walking through all these old colonial buildings that are built up on the sides of a hill and all these sherbet and you know, rainbow colors, there's no traffic, really. Uh, there's very few roads through the center of town. So it's all pedestrian streets and the cars are going underneath you. And it almost feels like something out of an Italo Calvino book, you know, mm. a city that's made up. It's I love really the beautiful. image of sherbet colored houses. That's just <laughs> so vivid. And I can just see it right now with a labyrinthine sort of a street plan. No traffic. Yeah. And, and a city that at one time was very wealthy because it was a, a historic silver mining city. Yeah, that's right. One of the biggest silver mines, in fact, probably the biggest in Mexico was found there. And the people who discovered it became very wealthy and huge benefactors for the city. They built tons of churches and haciendas and mansions that are, many of them are still standing, some sort of crumblingly beautiful, some really well-preserved. If you're a fan of Diego Rivera, you got a, his home there, the great Mexican That's right. Mm-hmm. He was born in Guanajuato. His home is really interesting to visit, not only for the glimpse into what his early life would have been like, but to get a sense of what a typical family home would have been like in 19th century Mexico. I really recommend that. It's, a, it's one of the many interesting museums, lots of small, interesting museums in, in Guanajuato, and that's a, that's a good one. Interesting. Well, even beyond interesting, just quirky. The Mummy Museum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 100 Corpses. Yeah, it is a very strange thing that's become a bit cultish in Guanajuato that in the strange um, soil, the 
dirt below Guanajuato just naturally calcifies people's bodies. So they found all of these corpses that had been naturally mummified. And then in a very macabre twist, they decided to make a museum out of them. Hmm. So you can go in and view these naturally calcified corpses. Is there any way a typical visitor can actually uh, get beyond the colonial and the urban Mexico and, and, and learn about indigenous Mexico? Well, in this area, less so than other areas to the south. But I think one thing that any visitor can and should do is to visit markets and to look at some of the beautiful traditional handcraft that has survived for literally centuries. So if you go to shop in a market and you find, you know, handwoven sarapes or you find wool rugs, uh, handmade huaraches, I mean, this is a really beautiful way to, to get a sense of the aesthetics and the culture of Mexico. And these are our handcrafts that have gone back for, for so many generations. And if you want to actually see these artisans at work, what could you hope to see in the way of uh, craftspeople actually doing their craft and their art? Well, one thing that you could definitely do in this region in particular is visit one of the ceramics workshops because the ceramics, Mayolica-style ceramics, which is tin-glazed ceramics and pottery, that's uh, something that's very famously made in that region, both in Guanajuato and outside San Miguel in a little town called Dolores Hidalgo. And a lot of those places have open studios so you can go and see artisans working. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Julie Mead, and she's the author of the Moon Guide book to San Miguel de Allende, which also includes chapters, and I must say uh, substantial chapters, on Guanajuato and Carretero. And Julie also writes the Moon Guide to Mexico City. You know, Julie, a lot of us travel pretty much on our stomachs, and we just want to be sure to eat our way through these cultures. Let's uh, wrap up our discussion of these three beautiful towns with just one eating experience that you really look forward to. I know when I travel, when I go to certain towns, I've got something in mind, and then I'm not going to really be there until I enjoy that delicacy in that town where it's supposed to be enjoyed. Consider San Miguel, consider Guanajuato, consider Carretero, and share with me three taste treats that you would want to have for sure if you took a friend Hmm. to these towns. Well, let's see. One place I would definitely recommend checking out in Guanajuato is a little family-run restaurant called Las Mercedes. Uh, Las Mercedes. That's um, It's run by family right in their home. You have to make reservations, but when you get there, you're going to have the most delicious home-cooked traditional Mexican meal. And they often incorporate local ingredients like choconosle, which is a prickly pear fruit, but a sour one. And it's really only used in this region. It's really only used in Guanajuato and the areas around it. So it's sort of unique to get to try it. Mm. You know, they might have like a choconosle margarita Mm, that you could try, which is delicious. The best meal in San Miguel is breakfast. It's really fun to go out to breakfast in San Miguel. And my favorite place to go out to breakfast is a little restaurant called Lavanda. Unfortunately, a lot of people also love lavanda, so you often have to wait, but they make the most delicious Mexican breakfasts. They have wonderful coffee, wonderful tea, and the atmosphere is just beautiful in a courtyard in a colonial era Hmm. building, so that's a definite recommendation. Okay, but you say delicious specifically. What makes it a great breakfast? I think what Lavanda does really well is they take a traditional dish in Mexican cooking like huevos rancheros, which is fried eggs in a spicy tomato sauce, and they find a way to reinvent it. So they make it with poached eggs, and they serve it in a bowl, so it all looks very elegant, and it tastes just a little bit different than what you would try anywhere else. Oh, it sounds really good. And then finish this off with a, with a taste treat that you might be sure to have in Carretero. 
Well, in Querétaro, there's a lot of fun places to eat with regional cuisine from around the country. There's a wonderful Oaxacan restaurant called Maria Isubisi, where you can try food from Oaxaca. But one place that's jumping to mind that's really fun and somewhat new is a microbrewery. And it's called Cervecería Hércules. It's sort of like Hercules, but in Spanish, Hércules. So and this Hercules is up on a hillside. Hall. Yes, exactly. But the cool thing about this place is that it's located in an old 20th, early 20th century textile factory. So it's this old renovated building with a sort of industrial feel and peeling paint. It has a really great vibe. And it's just packed in the evenings and on the weekends with families running around, people drinking beer. They have all sorts of food. But you know, the food's almost second to this awesome atmosphere. But that's a place I really recommend. And the beer is fabulous. So Julie, it's, we've got our three meals there. We've got a beautiful breakfast in San Miguel. We've got that wonderful family restaurant in Guanajuato. And then we'll go to the uh, Hercules Beer Hall for dinner and, <laughs> and beers in, in <laughs> Caretra. Thank you very much. You've given me ideas for my next trip to Mexico. Julie Mead, author of The Moon Guide to San Miguel de Allende and The Moon Guide to Mexico City. Thanks very much for being with us and happy travels. Thank you so much. Bonito Leon, Guanajuato, su feria con su Julie tells us more about San Miguel on Travel with Rick Steves, program number 596. That's from March of 2020. You can listen from our program archives at ricksteves.com radio. Where do you really want to be able to visit as soon as we can travel again? Patricia Schultz joins us next with a few more must-see ideas for your travel wish list. When Patricia Schultz first published A Thousand Places to See Before You Die, it touched a nerve with readers. It's got people talking about their bucket lists and planning which of our world's cultural, historic, and scenic destinations they'll plan to get to someday. She joins us now to consider a few of the possibilities. Our interview was recorded prior to the global pandemic shutdowns. Patricia, it's nice to have you back. Thank you. Thanks very much, Rick. Well, you published this book uh, for the first time back in 2003. A lot has changed since then. Uh, What's changed in how you approach travel? Well... Ideally, (laughs) you always bring more and more context to your next trip, understanding things perhaps in a different way because you've simply experienced so much prior to arriving in your new destination. So the more I travel, the more I have a broader and more general and more comprehensive understanding of the world. I don't pretend to have even scratched the surface but compared, I think of, you know, how mm-hmm. I saw the world in an innocent 20-something way, fresh out of university, and it just seems like a lifetime ago, and in fact, it was. You know, you've, you've hit on something there, Patricia, because the context enhances your ability to appreciate a place. I'm always thinking about budget travel tips, but a good budget travel tip is take more context with you and you get more out of the experience, regardless of the cost. I you know, I have a history degree in European history, and I'm far from any sort of a great historian or scholar, but I certainly value my history degree when it comes to enjoying the sites I'll be seeing. 
And really, you could spend a lifetime. I mean, when people, I saw somebody yesterday who actually had the innocence to say, oh, I've done Europe. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, because uh, my, my <laughs> humble approach is uh, every time I come home, I, I have a better appreciation of what I don't know, how much more there is to see yeah. and experience. And, it keeps and, and you humble, right? It, it really does. It wallops your ethnocentricity, and it uh, <laughs> rearranges all your cultural furniture in a way that you didn't know could be a rearranged. <laughs> That's and a just, great expression. I just love I that. Love that. <laughs> now, in your new edition, or your latest edition, um, what are a couple of editions in the book that you're particularly happy about in, in The Thousand Places to See Before You Die? Well, I added actually hundreds of new places, and I didn't change the title, but rather I took the original fundamental entries and kind of dismantled them and reorganized them, merged and fused so that uh, the organization of the book is quite different. So, for example, two or three or four even Maya ruins in the Yucatan, Mexico, that originally had their own separate entry have become La Ruta Maya, the Maya Trail, because they share so much history and they're Mm -hmm. so similar to some degree. And really, it just allowed me to open up the book to two or three new listings, not in Mexico, but on the other side of the world. Is the total still 1,000? Yeah, it is. <laughs> you kind of cheated then. You combined some because you <laughs> love so many different places. Do you notice any trends on, on what's coming and what's going? Well, one thing that I've seen not just immediately recently, but in the last many years is that the whole area that I first visited in the 70s, way back when, of the southeastern peninsula of Asia has become so much a favorite destination for Mm. cruise lines, bringing, you know, the boomers to Mm -hmm. visit that particular area of the world. But um, gap students or gap travelers or Mm -hmm. young 20, 30-somethings forget about Europe. (laughs) It's all become Mm -hmm. Cambodia and Laos and the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how many young people are doing Indonesia and the islands. And with thousands and thousands of islands, they've found an area of the world that it's incredibly beautiful with very welcoming people, ancient civilizations, so much that's fascinating and cheap. And cheap. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Patricia Schultz about her groundbreaking book, The Thousand Places to See Before You Die. Patricia, I'd like to kind of quickly uh, zip through a few of your um, your reactions, if I just ask you. Uh, you have Imam Square. Oh, I loved Iran. To me... If I, like, die tomorrow, I'll die happy because that, to me, was one of my favorite experiences ever. The people are some of the nicest, most hospitable, and genuinely friendly people I've met anywhere. And we can travel there. I mean, there's ways to travel there, just like we traveled in the Soviet Union in the old days. And it's people that people travel. It's a good thing. Exactly. Now, as Americans, you need to be accompanied by a group. But small groups are fine. People from the states who are traveling to Iran are like-minded and I found fascinating in my group. And I would never have experienced the amount and understood or learned as much had we not been accompanied by, in our case, a remarkable guide. The guides are generally very interested in having you gain an appreciation of Persia. Uh, But that's great that you added Iran. When you think back on all the travels lately, uh, what's one particularly delightful or unforgettable breakfast you had? (laughs) Well, I was in South Korea, and we have a lot of Korean restaurants in New York City where I live. But I've always, you know, considered them a, a dinner 
evening option. So mm-hmm. to have a mm-hmm. South Korean, you know, kimchi for breakfast was a new concept yeah. for me. But you, as you know, in all of Asia, it's really easy to get, you know, toast jam and a cup of tea. So yeah. it's not like I lost any weight in <laughs> Korea. The food is very, very important. And there are so many different kinds of food. And I just had a field day. Everything was fresh and delicious and food is so important to them. It sounds like when I was in Japan, it was that way. And I'll never forget, Japanese breakfasts were something I particularly (laughs) enjoyed. They were just like adventures. They were. They were. What a way to start your day off, right? I love it. Uh, Yeah, little tiny crunchy fish. It's so fun to browse through the, the book, these thousand places. And a lot of the experiences are on water. What comes to mind as an unforgettable on the water experience? Well, you, again, can identify with this because I finally, I was so late in doing this, I finally did my classic, unforgettable, more lovely than I had anticipated, cruise down the Danube. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, you hear about it, and it's hardly anything new, and they've been doing it for centuries. What's one image on the on the Danube? Why did you enjoy that? Well, there are four major capitals that sit directly on the Danube, and to me, Budapest in the evening when it's all illuminated, and you drive mm. under the chain bridge or any of those. I think there are a dozen bridges that cross the Danube. And anybody in in Budapest, you can hop on a little one-hour cruise boat, too. And at at night, the city is so beautifully illuminated. Oh, it's magnificent. Mm. It's so romantic. And the Buddha castle up on the hill and the Mm -hmm. parliament building, which is just, Mm. it'll take your breath away. Yeah. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Patricia Schultz, travel dreaming through her thousand places to see before you die. Patricia, when you do your book, A lot of times you're exposed to tribal culture and nomads and so on. I have a particular sort of affinity for nomadic groups and their struggles. In this crazy modern world, what experience impacted you and gave you a better appreciation of uh, tribal culture or nomads? Well, when I think of nomads, in fact, I think of these tribes, which for thousands of years, I, I don't even know, certainly back to the time of Genghis Khan and before, were traveling herdsmen who would take their reindeer flocks and horses and the famous Mongolian pony horses and follow the seasons and and food and whatnot, and that they still even exist, you know, always in dwindling numbers. I think their their winters are just unprecedentedly harsh. I I don't, you know, having visited in July, I can't even imagine what Mm. it's like. Uh, They're all kind of, you know, making their way to Alan Batar, which is growing by the millions as the countryside empties out. So the numbers are diminishing. And it's a shame because it's, you know, we visited yurts. There's one road through the country and you see a yurt off on, you know, a hillside and go off-road, drive up to it, walk right in, and there was, you know, a, a cup of yak tea waiting for you and hospitality that goes back centuries. Hmm. Lovely people, lovely people, and just stunningly beautiful countryside, empty, empty mm-hmm. and just beautiful. Patricia, of the former Soviet Union, all these, the stands and Georgia and Ukraine and Russia and the, and the Baltic states, do you have a favorite destination? Well, my trip to the Caucasus, the Southern Caucasus, is quite recent. I did Armenia, the Republic of Georgia, no, not the state, and Azerbaijan all in one trip because Mm -hmm. they're very accessible one to the next. But that's, I think, a little bit more exotic than the average person. And just to, you know, to consider Russia alone, Moscow and St. Petersburg, Mm -hmm. so easy. You know, if you're pressed for time or if you want to start there, 
To me, they're magificent cities, and apples and oranges night and day. There are no two cities that are farther apart That's from so each true, other. Yeah, St. Petersburg yeah. and Moscow, and the only downside to me is you got to buy that visa. It costs you a couple hundred bucks, but after that, um, St. Petersburg is just sparkling <gasps> these days. It's amazing. It's incredible, and I think the kind of jewel in the crown of all the various Baltic ports when you do that cruise, which mm-hmm. is so popular through yeah. the Baltic Sea, you kind of head east and mm-hmm. up north and you spend many cruise lines now understand that the average five to eight hours doesn't cut it. And mm-hmm. you, they, many of them offer two nights even yeah. in St. Petersburg. And some will arrange to have you take that high speed four hour train from St. Petersburg to Moscow. So you don't see much of Mm -hmm. Moscow, but Mm. you get enough of a glimpse of it to understand just how different they are, those two cities. Yeah, on my North uh, European cruise, it was the one stop that had an overnight where you spent two days there instead of just one, and St. Petersburg certainly deserves that. Oh, you could spend two weeks, right? Well, what we did was we jumped ship. We left the the cruise in St. (laughs) Petersburg and spent five days there rather than than returning to Denmark where the cruise started. Also, uh, Patricia, I'm curious about uh, your travels in Iceland. Have you been to Iceland? Yeah, I was a latecomer to Iceland. Yeah, Yeah, because it's been like five, six, seven years now where it's the hot topic and everybody's been. And the Iceland tourism authorities are very clever because they're now repackaging it for the last few years, not just as a summer destination, but as the Northern Lights destination. So now it's become quite year round and people are going from the East Coast. It's three to five hours. It's pretty... Um, accessible. So you can even go for a long weekend, although I don't encourage that because until you get out of Reykjavik, which is a really cool capital Mm -hmm. city or just city in general, but once you get out of the city and do that ring road or at least portions of the Mm -hmm. ring road or go northwest to the western fjords, you don't even understand how magnificent Mm. the topography Mm. is. This island of ice and fire, it's just beautiful. From a geological point of view, it's interesting because it literally is where America and Europe meet. Uh, a, geolo- yeah. a geologist would know And that lovely the, people, the, the, English-speaking oh. people, yeah. yeah. And, um, really you know, cool. it's not a cheap place, but it's no more expensive than, than Denmark or, or something. And it's uh, certainly worth having I don't on, think any place is as expensive <laughs> as Denmark. <laughs> Denmark is uh, is pretty pricey. I, I say that because Norway, to me, is more expensive than Denmark. But it's, Yeah, uh, they're all crazy yeah, expensive. But I've never discouraged anyone from going anywhere because of the price. You just need to do your homework. Yeah, and so you exactly. go like eight days instead of 10. And no, you don't eat out three times a day. Right. So it's all, every place is doable, whether it's Paris or Tokyo or There's people Hong who Kong, live there all, who go out to, and they yeah. buy groceries. You can buy groceries. You can rent a bicycle. You and know. how fun is that? <laughs> That's part of the culture. As we anticipate the day when we can stop dreaming and start actually traveling again, we're exploring a few of the world's best destinations with Patricia Schultz. Our conversation was recorded prior to the COVID pandemic closures. Patricia is the author of A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. It's domestic spin-off of Places to See in the U.S. and Canada, and she's selected a thousand scenic photos to accompany her latest coffee table version of the book. We have links to her work with this week's show at ricksteves.com radio. Hey, Patricia, the crowdsourcing sites like TripAdvisor have become quite a force lately, much more so than when you wrote the, your book originally. How do you use them, and, and in what ways are they helpful, and in what ways are they not? I know that so many naysayers, you know, poo-poo the importance or even the existence of, uh, for example, TripAdvisor, but hey, I'm a big fan of TripAdvisor, and I get some of my best tips. I think that you need, as with anything or place in life, 
You need to approach it intelligently. You need to understand who are writing these reviews. You need to read more than one or two. And you need to do other research above and beyond TripAdvisor alone. Mm -hmm. So I think it's pretty phenomenal what they have created in just a few years. And the importance in choosing a place and understanding which, you know, for example, in the hotel world, because that's how it started, which rooms to avoid, which rooms to suggest, mm -hmm. why you might want to reconsider because they're doing renovation in the annex and you don't want to, you know, wind up with a reservation in that room when, in fact, the historical original wing of the mm -hmm. hotel is where, I mean, all of that kind of information is, you know, 20, maybe 40, maybe 5% of it not worth reading, probably, but you have to wade through all of that and kind of Those kind of, of comments you're not going to see in the promotional brochures of the hotel, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and in TripAdvisor, you've got hotels, you've got eateries, restaurants, and you've got things to see and do. Um, yeah. I find that the things to see and do listing is the most helpful for me because uh, it just lets me know what's available. And they'll put all of the landmark, can't miss, Taj Mahal, you mm -hmm. know, Louvre, you know, Tate Gallery kind of mm -hmm. top of the line. And then mixed in with all of this obscure stuff. I like the obscure stuff. I'll, I'll read the top 50 things to see and do, and I don't care what the how they rate compared to each yeah. other. I just, if there is a leprosy museum in Bergen, I want to know yeah, about it. Yeah, that's you know? <laughs> where you'll find it. I know. Yeah. It always amazes me, and I love that mix, you right. know, of the of the well-known historical with the unsung and quirky. And sometimes they're right up against each other. Patricia Schultz, it's so much fun talking with you. Uh, best wishes with your work on A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. I want to finish just with some great travel quotes and to get your just brief and off-the-top-of-your-head response to each. 1,500 years ago, Mohammed said, Don't tell me how educated you are. Tell me how much you've traveled. Love that. And it just resonates straight to the middle of my heart because I had a most wonderful education. Thank you, Mom and Dad. But it was my foundation upon which everything I've ever learned through any time I've left the front door, whether it's by train or donkey or tuk-tuk <laughs> or airplane, everything I've learned in life of real pertinent importance to me, I've learned through travel. Thomas Jefferson traveled a lot, and he wrote that travel makes a person wiser if less happy. I think of India. Is India a happy place? And so many times it just will break your heart. But it's magnificent. If you have any interest in India, I say go now, go mm -hmm. many times, stay as long as you can. It's one of the most insightful mm -hmm. and inspiring places yeah. anywhere in the world. And that's true of travel everywhere, this kind of mix. It makes it tougher to ignore the realities beyond our borders. Yeah, and if that makes your life less happy, well, that's reality. And uh, if you can't handle that, go to Orlando. And that's your education in life, isn't it? Yeah. Mark Twain traveled in his probably the most famous travel quote ever. Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. You know, I think our politicians should not even be allowed to consider to sign on for some of their positions until they show their passport. <laughs> I think that students should have their junior year abroad semesters or years or even, you know, a, a week abroad subsidized by the government. Mm -hmm. I think that that travel is just so important to opening up your head and understanding America's place in the world. Thank goodness universities are recognizing that a, a full, well-rounded upper education it's includes slow a little coming. travel. Yeah. My friend Carl Franz, who is uh, beloved for writing The People's Guide to Mexico, his uh, subtitle was, Wherever You Go, There You Are. <laughs>
And and I have no words for that because it kind of says it all. And really, it doesn't matter where you go, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Every place offers its own gem of of experience and adventure. Mm -hmm. Adventure's out there. Who said that? Um, Amelia Earhart, Adventure's Out There. It's out there. Become a temporary local. And uh, that relates to my... uh my last quote, I was going to just quote myself. If an opportunity <laughs> presents itself while on the road, say yes. And I, my postscript to that is that if an opportunity does not present itself to you, then make it. Make it. Amen. Patricia Schultz, thanks so much. It's always great to talk with you. Congratulations on A Thousand Places to See Before You Die, and happy travels. Oh, thank you. Same to you, Rick. Thank you. Where do you want to go? Tell us next at 877-333-RICK. It's Travel with Rick Steves. A global pandemic can sure mess with your plans. But just like we try to keep active by walking around the neighborhood and exercising at home, maybe we also need to feed our travel dreams every now and then. Do your travel memories help sustain you during the global shutdowns? Where's the first place you want to land once it's safe to travel abroad again? Our number at Travel with Rick Steves is 877-333-7425. Steve in Westchester, Pennsylvania is on the line to get us started. Hi, Steve. Hi, Rick. How are you? I'm doing good. It's fun to be talking to travelers and kind of thinking about, you know, we're going to be traveling again sooner or later. Right now we have to be patient. But the beautiful thing about travel is we have memories, and we have memories that kind of stoke our appetite for more of this travel. What have you been thinking about lately? Well, actually, I've been watching a lot of your programs on TV. That is really, it's inspiring because uh, we sort of relive some of the places we've been. But... um, my wife and I have been traveling to Slovakia. Um, I've been going for about the last 20 years. Um, she's been going for about the last 10. But uh, we've really, really enjoyed it. There are so many things to see there, like a lot of the other countries. Steve, if you're watching my shows, there's a hundred of them, and I've yet to do Slovakia. <laughs> yeah, that's why, I've, <laughs> that's why I wrote in. <laughs> I want to do and, Slovakia really badly. I love Bratislava. That's an, an amazing capital. It is. And um, when you get more in-country, I think you'll find that um, they've got the Tetris Mountains there. Mm-hmm. They have, I think, 60 different wooden churches. Mm. There's just so many things to see that it's really quite amazing. Well, you know, a lot of castles. Steve, those of us who have no reason to be focused on Slovakia, we might know Bratislava because it's just an hour away from Vienna. They say they're the only two capitals in Europe that, that you can see the lights of each city from each other at night. They're so close together, and that's all I know about Slovakia. Tell us more about the charms of Slovakia. Remember, that used to be Czechoslovakia, and then they had the uh, peaceful separation. Uh, what do they call that, the, the velvet divorce or something like that? And, yeah, uh, t- it was the purple, yeah, or the velvet, yep. Tell us uh, about the charms of Slovakia beyond its, its capital, Bratislava. Well, um, we've enjoyed visiting a lot of the castles. Uh, they have one on the eastern side of the country called uh, Spies. And that's one of the oldest, I think, in Europe. Mm-hmm. It dates back, I think, to 800 mm. A.D. and even to the Roman Empire. They found uh, some ruins underneath it, so it's quite old. But the charm of the country is just uh, wonderful. They have a lot of little villages, and each little village has a, you know, a church in the center of it where you're, you're driving along the countryside and um, you do see, you know, you see the spire of the church and the double cross. Double cross meaning uh, Orthodox or what? Yes, it's a Greek Orthodox. Uh-huh. But most of the population is Catholic. Okay. 
One of the cities that we've gone to and we've actually met and developed many friendships is a city in the center of the country called Martin. Hmm. They have a Lutheran uh, school there and a church, and we've uh, done some work there um, with my church and Mm -hmm. developed uh, a lot of friendships with um, students and the adults there. And actually, when we were there, we were paired with families, and um, many of them had a really hard time adopting or adapting to uh, capitalism, even though it was, you know, 10, 12 years after the revolution. Uh, they really had it because under communism, you know, they had they knew that they had medical care. It may not have been good. Right. They knew that they were going to be able to retire. You know, there was a certain sense of security there. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, you know, my age, I'm in my 60s, that we met um, back then were very concerned about their future. Now, the new generations, they've adapted to capitalism very well. Right. They're doing very well. I mean, the, this town we went in, it didn't have any amenities in it way back when and i think in 2010 they got a mcdonald's mm-hmm. and that was a that was a big deal <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, and you know uh, all the grocery major grocery stores moved into the city and um, the eu built roads when they joined the eu that was a that helped a lot yeah. infrastructure was pretty poor they're coming out of a difficult heritage i mean i understand they actually sold their old uh, cobbles uh, in order to make some money to the capitalists in the western communisms they literally sold off a lot of their charm uh, but they've uh, resurrected it in some beautiful way and it's uh, it's a real pleasant surprise if you get a chance uh, as you're mentioning, there's lots more to see than that, especially considering the wonderful welcome you get in a part of Europe that is not that touristic, so people will accept you not just as part of the economy, but as part of the party, which is a beautiful thing. It is. The people are they're wonderful. Nice. We've, uh, we've, my wife has done her family history, and she's really half Slovak, so mm-hmm. it gives us another connection, and we've gone back That's and great. gone yeah. into the villages that her family came from, and it's uh, nice. also really helped us. All right. Well, I, I'm sorry I haven't done a TV show on Slovakia, but i got to say that I have a trumpet that was made in Slovakia, and I love my trumpet. And it, it, has, it has not piston valves, but rotary valves like a French horn. And every time I get it out, I think, Slovakia, i got to go there and make a TV show on it. So stay tuned, okay? Thanks, Steve, for your call. Okay. We'll, we'll look forward next year. All right. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you, Rick. Thanks. Yep. Good talking to you. You too. We're feeding our travel dreams right now on Travel with Rick Steves by hearing where some of our listeners are hoping to go as soon as it's okay to head overseas again. You can email us your ideas at radio at ricksteves.com. Judy's on the line in San Jose, California. Hi, Judy. Hi, Rick. It's nice to talk to you. Yeah, great to have you on. What's going on with your travel dreams lately? Well, I had plans to go to Vienna and then hike in the south of the Czech Republic and then go to Prague, but I postponed them because of the pandemic. I've been to Vienna and Prague both before and wanted to go back to both of them, and then I found mm. this, this NTN hiking trip that I could do in the south of the Czech Republic, so I'm going to do those three things. Well, you know, it's so, it's so nice to see a couple of great cultural capitals like Vienna and Prague and then splice in some uh, enjoying the local nature, like uh, the hike you're talking about. Tell us about the hike you're thinking about. Um, well, it advertises being hiking from Vienna to Prague, but I'm not going to do the whole thing. It's over 200 miles. I'm really going to do about six days of hiking on the good bits. And the company that I'm going um, using, although they're not going with me, I'm actually going to be hiking all by myself, but they'll give me directions in a map and a navigation device. 
um, they'll cart my luggage for me, and they'll also pick me up, or else I'll take a train and go to um, a trailhead for a good bit of the, you know, pretty nice huh. part of it, and then I'll go to another lodging, and then the next day I'll go to another pretty part. Now this is news to me, and I think a lot of people's traveling ears are perking up. So you're gonna this trail's going from Vienna to Prague, and it's way too long to hike for the normal traveler like you or me. But you can right. hire a company, and they set you up with uh, guest houses or little hotels. They shuttle your gear from here to there. They let you drive and cheat to go ahead on the hike, and they choose which bits, or you choose which bits you want to do. And it's sort of like a lazy man's hike? Exactly. They choose for me the good bits because I don't know. I and love it. And they pick the little towns that I stay in. Oh, I love it. Have you done this before? Um, I've done it in other countries. Yeah, some of, the, some of the times when you do this style of hiking, you go from door to door. You know, from the lodging of one door, yeah. you hike all the way to the lodging, right. the door of the next lodging. Yeah. But on some of them, it's too far, like in Switzerland, and you can take yeah. gondolas and trains to shorten yeah. the distance between places. But this is called, is this a company called Greenways Vienna? Or Greenways? It's called Greenways. Greenways. And it's a company, it seems like they help develop this trail, uh-huh. and they help maintain it. Yeah. And then they also have these trips. But you can do the same trip with other companies, but I decided yeah. to go with them because they're local to the Czech Republic. But the beautiful thing is you've got your accommodations, you've got your shuttles to carry your gear and to carry right. you if it's a segment of the trail you don't want to do. And you can you know right. what you're in for. Every day it's a comfortable hike, and you've got a, uh, the, the st- no stress about where you're going to be staying and, and no sweat about carrying all that baggage. It just sounds like a utopian way to hike. Oh, it's a lovely way to hike. I've done it in about four or five different European countries now because it's very popular there. Well, what are the other hikes you did that would be worth having people uh, dream about? This trip I'm going to do all by myself, but I did it in the past. I've done it with friends. And um, two years ago, we hiked from Cerbère in France on the Mediterranean to Cadaqués in Spain on the Mediterranean. Ah, nice. And so each, each morning we would stay, uh, we would start out from our lodging, and we'd hike up into the Pyrenees, and then we'd hike across, you know, in the Pyrenees with fantastic views of the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. and then we'd hike down into a fishing village to stay. Ah, Cadaqués is nice. It was, was, that, what, it was did, fabulous. Did, did it end in Cadaqués? Yes. That's Salvador Dali's hometown. Exactly. Oh, yes. I love that town. You're inspiring me. Judy, thank you so much for sharing this. I hope that you can get back out on that trail, but not have to carry your own bag. <laughs> me too. <laughs> okay, take care. Happy travels. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're imagining where we'd like to go when that happy day comes when we can go. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And let's talk to Caroline, who's calling in from Lake Forest Park in Washington. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Rick. So if you could go back to Europe tomorrow, where would you go? Oh, well... Paris would be one of my first choices, Mm, and um, because I have a 60th birthday coming, and I always dreamed of being in Paris for my 60th, Mm. and then I would head over to Germany because I have a nephew who's stationed over there, and um, I haven't seen them in a few years, so it'd be nice to see them again, and uh, show them some of our family heritage over in Switzerland, our family name um, comes from Staubach Falls, which is very interesting. I didn't know about that place until I was there one time, and I want to take him back there to show him where oh. we came from. So your name is your family name is Staubach. 
Yeah, it really yeah. It started. It's Stobuck. It's been Americanized yeah. many years, right. but it comes from Stobuck. I find that waterfall then, mesmerizing. I can look at that. It's one of the longest waterfalls in Switzerland, right there outside of the town of Lauterbrunnen, half an hour south of Interlaken. Yes, and I walked the valley in '96. Oh, 96. oh. I, my I, first time I went there. There's, you know, at the bottom of a waterfall, um, there's this conical buildup of stones that the waterfall has thrown down from the mountain. You know what I mean? And it makes a like a, a Mount Fuji kind of form around it. I was standing there, and I saw a man get hit by a stone from the mountain, <laughs> hurled oh, at him wow. by Staubach Falls. And he, he clutched, his hand went onto his head, and he just fell right down. And I thought... That sign is correct. Watch for uh, for rocks hurling out from the waterfall. You got to be careful about that at Staubach Falls. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I would like to take them there and show them the valley. Yeah. Well, and that's, then that's great. Um, I lived in England um, a few years ago, and I have many friends back there who I'm zooming with now, hmm. who I want to go back and see. Zooming you know, the that's you know that's so interesting, isn't it? That we can zoom each other now. We could zoom each other before, but it didn't really occur to a lot of us. I've zoomed my relatives in Norway, and I had never done it before. And hey, it's just a few clicks away, and we can uh, be in touch. It's a, a nice a little bonus from this time that we're having to rely on on our screens more. Yes, I'm actually seeing them more now virtually than I get mm-hmm. to see them when I'm over there. Yeah. Well, I hope you can get to Paris, and I hope you can get back to Germany, and be careful of those rocks at Staubach Falls. Yes, I will. (laughs) Thank you for warning me. Thanks for your call. Take care. You're welcome. And Jack's on the line from Monterey in California. Jack, thanks for calling. Uh, Sure thing, Rick, and I like your radio show and your TV show. Well, thank you. It's fun to be able to connect with travelers, and it's fun to kind of check in with people and see what you're thinking about. We're all locked down for a little while. We will be traveling again uh, when the time is right. Where would you like to go back to? Well, I typically spend summers in Italy. I am an author and I write uh, the Milan Thriller series. So I fly into Malpensa, mm-hmm. which is between uh, Milan and Lago Maggiore. Mm-hmm. And I take a bus up to Streza. Now, Streza is a town on the southern bank there of Lago Maggiore. Mm-hmm. And it's a very quiet, peaceful town. And what's really interesting, there are three little offshore islands there, uh, Isola uh, Pescatore, Isola Madre, Isola Bella, and you can take a ferry out there, and they have a hop-on, hop-off ferry, so you can stop at one little island, walk around, go through the gardens, hop on another ferry, and go to the next, go through museums, and then stop and have lunch or have dinner, and then come back. Now, the town street also has this wonderful embarcadero, that stretches quite a ways, and there are parks, and there are flowers, and there are monuments, and they have actually a monument to the victims of 9-11. They also have a monument to the partisans, because much of the partisan war against the Nazis, which was fought mm. in like 44 and 45, took place there in the northern Alps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you can see monuments to people who died in World War II all across Europe, obviously, but in Italy. Yes. And some of them were fighting uh, with the Nazis and some of them were fighting against the Nazis. And you can That's see that right. word, partisan, that would be, I don't, I don't know exactly the Italian word, but you can read it in English on the, on the memorials. And you can actually tell yes, can. who were the partisans, who were the guerrillas fighting against the Nazis when Mussolini was running Italy, right? Yes, that's right. Wow. 
And another nice thing about that is if you're at Lago Maggiore, you are within just an hour or so of other really interesting lakes up there. So there's Lake Varese, which is about an hour away. There's Lake Orta to the west. And then you can take a ferry or a train. You can take it over to Lago Como. Mm -hmm. So it's a very central location, and it's beautiful in that you can look up to the Swiss Alps. And if you're ready to go to Switzerland, you could just hop on a train. And you can go up there to Locarno, or if you want to go into Milan, there's a 20-minute local train from Streza into Centrale in Mm -hmm. Milan. So it's so conveniently located to have a little relaxation, absorb some history, have wonderful foods. And I'd love to hear your take on Varese, Orta, and Lago Maggiore. How would I, I don't know Varese and Orta. Uh, can you describe those to us? Sure. Okay. So you can leave from Milano and you could take a regional train. It takes a bit of a time there and it's kind of dropped down into a little valley. Mm-hmm. It's mostly just residents around there. It's not a major tourist place. They have a very nice beach. They have trampolines and they have mm-hmm. sports gardens there. It's a very quiet kind of a place. It's more for, I think, Milanese who just want to get away and have some peace and quiet. Okay. Now, Orta is across a mountain ridge. So you take a local bus from uh, from Streza and you go up and up and up and up and up, and then you go down and down and down and down, and then you go up and up and up mm-hmm. and down, and then you see Lake Orta. Now, Orta is kind of like a pill-shaped, and right in the middle is this famous island where they have a cathedral. Now, it is so remote that I understand Madonna bought a home there because nobody could find out where she was living in the, in the summertime. Oh, is that right? Because George Clooney has a place on Lake Como, right? He didn't care to get yes, away from does. it all. Now, you like um, Lago Maggiore. If, if you had to hang out in Lago Maggiore or Lake Como, how would you compare the two? What would you choose? Uh, Como has many more tourists. So if you're coming from Milan, you're going you're gonna to go up the west side, and there are many, many tourist buses that go up the west side, and you're going to pass all these little villages, Chernobyl, uh, Tortuna, uh, Griante, and some of these, you have a four-lane road that goes to a two-lane road, goes to a one-lane road. So you're behind a lot of tourist oh, buses and so taxis the big tour and buses. Yeah. and so it takes a long time to go up there. So you miss kind of the beauty of the lake. Mm-hmm. Now, once you're once you're on the lake, you could take these ferries from all these beautiful beachside towns: Menaggio, Varese, Bellagio, Como, mm. all the way up north, up towards Switzerland. So mm-hmm. you can have a half day or a full day ferry and just go cross, crisscross, mm, crisscross, crisscross. Ah, you got me um, kind of excited here. I want to go there. So just. Uh... <laughs> We'll uh, hope that we can get traveling again soon, okay? Jack, thanks for your call. Thank you very much, Rick. All right, happy travels. Yeah, bye-bye. I just want to look at you And I know it's gonna be Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington, by Tim Tapner and Kaz Hall. We had editing help this week from Donna Bardsley and Sarah McCormick, with studio support from Sports Byline USA in San Francisco and the Radio Foundation in New York. Email us about your travels to radio at ricksteves.com. 
and join us again next week for more Travel with Rick Steves. Hey, I'm Rick Steves. I love art. And in my new book, Europe's Top 100 Masterpieces, I share my favorites with gorgeous photos and vivid descriptions. It's a greatest hit sweep through art history via the finest paintings, sculpture, and architecture ever. It's all in Europe's Top 100 Masterpieces, Art for the Traveler. It's available now at ricksteves.com.